Hey, what's up, everyone? This is David Bell. Welcome to episode 51 of the Pocket Mastermind podcast. On today's episode, I'm talking to Brendan Kumarasamy about how to overcome fear and master public speaking, um, a big topic for a lot of people I know. Uh, in this episode, we cover Brendan's background, which led him to becoming a professional public speaking coach. Um, we talk about why we're fearful of public speaking, tactics to overcome fear, uh, Brendan's big rule for constructing a great presentation, uh, tips for storytelling, and so much more. So please remember, uh, if you like the episode, uh, leave us a review, uh, follow us, subscribe, uh, and please share with your friends. Uh, with that, let's get on with the show. So the big question is this, how do ordinary people like us that weren't born into money create true financial freedom, take back control of our lives and live a life full of purpose, meaning and fulfillment? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. Join me and follow along as I learn, apply and share the strategies that the wealthy know and use that the rest of us weren't taught to create true financial freedom. My name is David Bell and welcome to Pocket Mastermind. Brendan, welcome to the Pocket Mastermind podcast. How are you doing? I'm great, dude. How about yourself? Yeah, really good. Really, really good. Yeah, we we're just talking. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about public speaking. Uh, most people's number one big fear right and uh but before we go into you know why 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 are people so scared and how do we overcome that that fear that's a little bit about you brendan Where, what's your yeah, background yeah, awesome. and and how do you how did you come to be a public speaking expert and how do you help people right yeah for sure so so when i was in university david i used to do these things called case competitions so think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So other guys my age were, you know, playing footy or rugby or whatever they were doing. Things I'm clearly not uh, equipped to do, as you can tell. Stuff you would, <laughs> stuff you would, <laughs> right. stuff I couldn't spell or do. <laughs> so what happened was I still had the same competitive spirit as all the other people in my university, but I focused a lot more on doing presentations competitively. Mm -hmm. So for three years, I presented 500 times, coached dozens of people with the sole objective of getting a, a great corporate job and having fun along the way. And I, after I was successful, I landed the job I wanted. I just asked myself the following question. What can I do for the world? What impact can I make? And I realized a couple of things. The first one was a lot of the content on public speaking on YouTube is really bad. Like you hear stuff like, Hey, David, you should like imagine everyone in their underpants and you'll be really successful. And I'm just <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the classic cliche of doesn't work, does it? Yeah, it's just so definitely doesn't work. And the, the other thing was I realized I was one of the youngest professional speech coaches in the world, which meant, because I started coaching CEOs at 23, mm -hmm. that the only person who can inspire 15, 16, 17-year-olds to, to master public speaking was me. Because the average age of people who are speaking on the platform were in their 40s or 50s. So that's when I had the idea to just make videos in my mother's basement. So I started making videos on everything I was teaching a lot of the students at university. And over time, my production got better. I got better. And then the rest was history. So did you, when you started your journey of becoming a competitive present, pre, uh, present, get the words out, presenter, um, what we, we did you already have the confidence in the beginning or is that something you developed because i think a lot of people to begin with just they even the thought of standing up and presenting anything is terrifying i was like a mix so i i'm probably a good example that's why people uh, can master public speaking i think because when i was five years old I, I grew up in a city called montreal mm -hmm. canada so and it was for those who don't know it's one of the few cities in the world where you need to know to speak multiple languages to do well in because French is the required language there since most people speak it. And of course, as you, uh, as you can probably guess, I wasn't one of those people. So <laughs> I was five, five years old. <laughs> My parents looked at me and said, hey, you need to learn this language. So we're going to send you to a French education system. 
So for the first 12 years of my education, not only was I afraid of communication or presentations like the next person, but I was presenting in a language I didn't know. Mm. So when I was in grade one or two, I'd walk up to stages and I would just go, uh, bonjour. <laughs> and then I couldn't do it. So, so that added an extra layer of stress. And I think if there's anything people can learn from my story is that if I could do it in a language I didn't know and struggle my whole life with presentations, I'm sure anyone can do it. But uh, of course, over time, what happened was because of how intense the program is. I mean, we were presenting with two to three times a week. And so I went, since I was a speech coach for the program, I was spending all the other days I wasn't presenting, coaching other people how to present. <laughs> so so I, I was able to ramp up my skills really quickly. It's interesting because I think in, a, in, in lots of circumstances in our lives where we where we where we get kind of forced to do something or we need to do something when we're quite young and it's and it's a terrifying experience we tend to do it don't like it and run away and then never go near it again and i think that probably sits behind some of the fears of a lot of people is probably standing up in school making a mistake and everybody laughing it would be my assumption when you speak to people what what is it that you find that people are really terrified of that's very good for, uh, foreshadowing, by the way, uh, David. It's very good uh, thought process with the school. I actually explain it that way as well. Oh, really? So, so the way that we need to think about this is the first step to mastering the fear of public speaking is understanding where it comes from. I've been on podcasts in the UK, the US, uh, the Asia, you know, you can name any country. And for some reason, every culture, regardless of who they are or where they've been or how they grew up, are all scared of public speaking and we have no clue why <laughs> so let me elaborate we need to ask ourselves the following question where do we give most of our presentations because chances are that's where the answer is and as you guessed very well i must say most people have done all of their presentations in a school or an education system not necessarily university could have been college high school all that stuff yeah go ahead I was going to say the reason I came up with that is because I, I, I remember distinctly when I first had to present in a professional uh, environment. And prior to that, I'd only ever really stood up in front of people when it was like a, a school play or something when I was really young. I was never really a drama type person. So I was never one to do the, the big productions and all the rest of it. It was kind of like, you know, when you're really small and you do the mandatory stuff and you get four lines in, in a nativity play or something like that. So my only really experience was you got these lines and you could either get them right or wrong. And then so when you when I became an adult and then I had to present in a professional environment, it was down to whether I was going to get it right or wrong. And that was my personal hang up. So I'm interested to know you obviously speak to way more people than just my my uh, survey of one. <laughs> so I'm interested to to learn what other other experiences really draw, drive this fear. Absolutely, David. And to build on your point, I think if there's anything we can take away so far in this conversation, especially with the fear of public speaking, is that presentations for most people are not optional, they're mandatory. So if you think about school, we don't wake up one morning and say, Hey, David, you want to get breakfast today and present all day? Nobody <laughs> says that, no. except maybe me and my competition program at university. That's probably a couple hundred people in the country, maybe. So the, the idea is in the education system, three things happen. Number one, you never get to pick the topic. And if you do, it's generally something you're not passionate about. Think about presenting the Renaissance in your mm -hmm. history class. For a lot of people are listening now, and they're like, What's a renaissance? Is that like a fruit or something? And they had to, they had to figure it out. It's a time period in history, as you probably know. Yeah. But the idea is you don't really get to pick the topic, right? And if you do, it's, it's not something you generally – you don't have to – you don't get to pick from a vast very array. True, of, actually. That's very thing. true. I never really thought about it as, as that as well because even outside of, out of like the acting or drama fields within school, whenever you present, whether it be in other lessons, you're right. It's kind of – you're right. They're reading from a textbook or something you've never read before. And so you're reading and presenting simultaneously that, and, and normally on really boring stuff. Absolutely. And then number two, you're always presenting to students who don't care. Not because they don't care about you or me. We're all great people. The issue with presenting to, to students is they're also presenting mm -hmm. right after you. So as you're speaking, you're thinking to yourself, man, I must be a terrible speaker. No one's paying attention to me. 
But the reality is, I'm sitting in the room, daydreaming, or rather, day nightmaring, if that's yeah, even a terrified word. Terrified that you what? next. Because <laughs> I'm going eight minutes after you, so I'm just like, oh, the sun is the sun. Like I'm thinking about my own thing. So true. Then, I, mean, I hadn't thought about that either, really. Right. And then number three. That's why I'm here to help. Exactly. <laughs> and <then> number three. <laughs> the number three teachers. Teachers are very well educated. Teachers are very well intentioned, but also very stressed. Mm-hmm. You got 70 students in a classroom, 30 students in a classroom, 50 students in a classroom. And you got to go through everybody. You got two classes to go through every single student, have them present. You barely have five minutes to drink coffee. You don't have time to coach any of those students on public speaking. So let's recap our analysis here. One, you never get to pick the topic. Two, you're always presenting to students who don't care. And three, you're always being coached by teachers who don't want to coach you because they don't have time. And this behavior in 100% of the presentations you give is repeated in everything. French, math, sciences, languages, gym, music, on and on and on and on. You're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore it's a responsibility. It's an obligation. If you're at school, it's tied to a grade. And if you're at work, it's tied to a result. And if you fail at any part of that journey, you get punished for it, whether it's a lower grade in school or whether it's a la- loss of promotion or a client you don't get at work. So what's the punchline here? The punchline is we need to understand that the fear of public speaking is not our fault, but rather the fault of the system in which we grew up learning the skill in the first place. So with that in mind, how the hell do we start to break down all of those fears or, or maybe to put it more positively, how do we start to build the confidence and the courage to, you know, practice to, to start doing it because, you know, the, the fear probably takes longer to diminish than it takes to start building the courage on top of that fear. You got it. Absolutely, David. So, so there's two parts to this. One part is mindset. The other part is tactic. So let's go with tactic first, and then we'll talk about mindset after. So tactic is simple. Would they do what I call the repeatable presentation? The, the issue that most speakers make, whether you're presenting at work or doing keynotes or, or really anything, is that they're always presenting different presentations. So if you think about school, you get your English presentation, your history one, and you're always switching in between. So because you're only presenting most of those presentations one time, you're only asking yourself one question, which is, what content should I put in this thing? And that's it. That's all you have time for. Whereas what the best speakers in the world do is that they present one or two presentations hundreds of times over and over. Like my keynote, I've probably done 400 times at this point. Like one presentation. That's how you get better. So the key is you want to pick a topic that you can solve somebody else's problem with. So in your case, your presentation is easy. It's your own podcast. Tell us what the vision is. Tell us what you're trying to accomplish with that. Not only can you use that as promotional material, you can also present that at conferences hundreds of times over because the, I mean, the podcast isn't going to change besides the numbers going up, right? So that's the, that's the key. So you want to find something that you're passionate about. One thing I always get, as a question is, well, Brendan, I work at a bank nine to five. There's nothing repeatable about that. What do I do? And I go, okay, Julia, what do you do outside of the work? She looks at me. She goes, well, you know, it's a big deal, but like I run marathons and I go, okay, that's amazing. Why don't you make a presentation on your journey running marathons? What your diet plan looks like? How did you place? What was your strategy and present it not to 3000 people, but to three people your partner, your kids, your cousins, your family members, and see what happens. So when Julia presents it to those three people, one of them usually comes up to him and goes, hey, Julia, that was a really amazing presentation. You actually influenced me to go on a run this morning. Thanks for that. What happens is public speaking shifts from this fear-mongering thing to an obsession. You go, wow, if I could convince my partner to go for a run from a presentation imagine what i could do for the world and then you're off to the races that's amazing yeah i think and i you know talk about that one presentation 
I think it's something we don't really consider. It, you know, we are in work and you do, you're right, you tend, you know, whether you're at school or whether you're at work. And I think most people come face to face with the the fear for the first time properly when they get it to work because suddenly now everything seems far when something was scary as a kid it's even more scary when you suddenly become an adult <laughs> you know you, you suddenly feel i think i don't know what it is you feel more you, you feel more conscious feel more judged and, but then when you like you say if you're only got if you only present something once the chances of a being good at anything the first and only time you do it have got to be fairly slim right you're never going to be the best of anything if you're in if it's the if it's the first time you've done it versus a hundred times so yeah great advice i think um then you've just got to get people to find like you say your julia your marathon runner find something that you're you're interested in that you could talk about so talk a bit more about the mindset side of things absolutely so the mindset side of things is more of a series of questions than anything else so the first question that people need to answer is the following how would the world change if you were an exceptional communicator? How would the world change if you were a top 1% speaker in the world? Most people, when they think about that question, they would answer something like, well, I would get a promotion at work. Wrong answer. If you start thinking and describe in details how that world would change for you, that's what creates that incentive system to start practicing it in the first place. And that doesn't just mean presentations because public speaking and communication is everything. It's the tough conversations that you have with your partner. It's the conversations that you have with your family. It's the dinners with your old friend. It's the negotiations with your business partners. It's everything that you do. So if you can find clear reasons, clear outcomes as to why you, you want to see the world change as you become a better speaker, it'll be much easier for you to position yourself in a way that makes sense. That's one thing with mindset. The other thing with mindset is to understand what's more of a tactic once again is this idea of figuring out what that key idea is. And for me, there's a simple question that helps you find it. And that question is, let's assume it's your last presentation ever. And after you present, you never get to present again. And in that room, you can present for as long as you want. 15 minutes, 15 hours, doesn't really matter. Your audience who's sitting there is not going to remember your name. They're not going to remember your title. Heck, they won't even remember your content. But they will remember one sentence. What do you want the sentence to be? And if you can figure out what that sentence is, it's so much easier to build your presentations. And what about in, in terms of kind of practicalities and, and creating the presentation? Are there kind of good standards to, to consider you know in, in terms of structure um you know the, the the story the the length is it worth is you know things like is it, are you worth creating a, a longer version that you're able to cut down or those kind of stuff so any any practical advice for actually the creation of that of that presentation Right. So I'm different from most speech coaches in the sense that I don't like to apply like very, very hard rules, but there is one rule I'll give you that I teach a lot of people. And this is called the puzzle method. So, so think about jigsaw puzzles, you know, those thousand piece puzzles, right? You know, you got a bunch back of them on the, the table. Back in the good old days. Yeah. yeah back <laughs> Before Facebook. Yeah, you know, exactly, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so if I asked you, David, let's say, let's say we work on a puzzle together or you're working on a puzzle with your family, which pieces would you start with first? Edges, of course. Right. Because they're just easier to put together. It's easier to get the corner pieces together. We don't do that in public speaking. We got two days to do a presentation. So what do we do? We start shoving a bunch of content. In other words, we start with the middle pieces. So that first, and so that when we get to the presentation, it's our last slide. We go, uh, yeah, so thank you. Same thing when we start, uh, yeah, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Brendan. So what's the key here? The key is we want to treat audience preparation, public speaking preparation, like building a puzzle. Start with the corners first. Do your introduction 30 times, 50 times, 75 times. I'll take you a couple of hours, not too long. Then spend the same amount of time at your conclusion. And then with the confidence that those two parts give you, then tackle the middle interesting yeah i think you're right 
we tend to, we do tend to focus on we go well this is the this is the point we're trying to make this is the and you get very much kind of on like a blind spot really into into just focusing in on, on that area and and everything else becomes an afterthought are there any are there any good tactics for a an engaging way to begin and end presentations yeah so so the way that i would think about this is that public speaking is like having a bunch of tools in the toolbox and not knowing how to use them so I, I, a lot of people talk about like oh analogies quotes uh, history all that stuff i'm not a big fan of those things though i do teach all of those tools on on the youtube channel what I, what i would say is that this is exactly why the repeatable presentation is so key because most speakers out there i would say easily 90% if not 95 unless you're like naturally natural born at it which is rare usually is in most cases you will never be able to engage your audience effectively unless you've done the same presentation 10 20 times and of course as long as you don't have the the amount of experience i do with that is assumption made of course so so let's say you present your marathon presentation the first couple of times you're not really focused on engaging people you're just like man i got to get everything right and all the words in the right order but then you do the same thing 10 times 20 times so at some point you're like, well, I don't really have much more of an opinion on the content. I, I think I have my content nailed. So now you start to ask yourself a series of new questions, which is the following. What emotions am I conveying in this presentation? Is my audience actually understanding what I'm saying? How are they feeling at every moment of my presentation? The issue is these questions never come up for any presentation unless you've done that presentation so many times that you have nothing else to think about. So my recommend for engaging people is start by presenting the same thing 20, 25 times before you even ask that question. Because you're, you're, you're totally fine to be boring for the first couple of times. Totally fine. But then after you get comfortable, really comfortable, then you can start your ask yourself. Out of all the tools out there, humor, sarcasm, quotes that are inspirational, which ones are the ones I'm the most comfortable with? So for me because I've done this for a while, personal stories work really well for me because it's great to explain myself as the use case since I'm the biggest example of why you can all master public speaking. Since I gave most of my presentations in French and I was able to switch back to English. But for you, that could be different. You could look at me and say, oh, you know, Brendan, I'm not very good with stories. I just started. So my advice is don't do them. Just pick another tool. And then over time, those small little incremental wins We'll get you talking about anything to anyone at any time. It's like they say, isn't it? If, if you're not funny, don't try to be. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's the Adding in jokes and stuff for the sake of adding in jokes. You see it on uh, TED Talks quite often, and, and it's a bit ooh, painful to watch, right? So, yeah, I th is there... if So, let's say I'm a client, and I come to you, and I say, Brendan, I need to do a... I, I either need to, or I want to... Quite often, a need tends to happen before the want because there's something else they want to, somebody wants to achieve, and they realise that there's no way they're going to be able to achieve that without speaking to an audience somewhere along the line. And and now, uh, this year, more people are presenting online than probably ever before. You know, when they would have been in rooms, suddenly now presenting online is is to a, to a, even if it's to your work colleagues, it's a bit like doing a webinar for the first time. And so if I come to you and say, right, I need to do this, this is, I need to get this outcome, I'm terrified of public speaking, where do you start? How do you start to work with those people? So if anyone's listening now and they're thinking, I mean, I'm in this position um, and they think that you could help them, let's, let's talk about how you, how, you, how you can help someone overcome that challenge. Absolutely. So, so I'll walk A to Z. So what I start at the beginning with is you want to get quick wins for the client right away. Because that's what brainwashes them into believing that they can master anything, including public speaking, which is why they pay me in the first place. So the first exercise I do with them is what I call the random word exercise that I'm, of course, happy to demonstrate. And that exercise is as follows. You pick a random word. Somebody gives you something random. And through that, you then pick something and then you make a presentation out of that word. So let's say I take couch, I would have to make a presentation out of couch, et cetera. So let's, let's just do this for the purposes of this uh, podcast. Why don't you just give me a random word, David? Uh, banana. Sure. 
So what I'm supposed to do with banana now, a banana, I mean, is I'm supposed to make presentation <laughs> out of it. So here I go. As I'm walking on upstairs in my house, I could see the sunlight beam from the outside world. And as I sit down and enjoy my beautifully already made breakfast, there's a couple of things that we can point out. The perfectly scrambled eggs, the toast that is toasted to perfection, the fruits on the side, and a little bit of bacon. A lot of people tend to believe that the beverage that I'm drinking is probably coffee. And if you thought that, you would be wrong. It's a banana smoothie. Why? Because bananas are filled with potassium. They're filled with energy. They're filled with life. And if we learn to enjoy them more, if we learn to not just put them in our banana splits, but also in a healthier way, our banana smoothies, we can leverage the health benefits that they can provide us so that rather than just monkeys eating this every single day, we too can learn the benefits of having an amazing piece, piece of, fruit of fruit every, every single, single morning. morning. And that's exactly why in this week's episode, rather presentation, I'm going to talk about the history of bananas, why bananas matter, and why you should be eating one right now. <laughs> I love it. I, I just had lunch, but I'm, I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, yeah, I, I, that's, I think that's the bit, the challenge is quite challenging, is, is coming up with that story. And it's not just coming up with a story, it's structuring it in a way that um, is engaging, that leads you into okay, next, what's next, what's next, what's next, and to get to that, that point. Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of things I always like mention with the exercise. One, never ever compare yourself to me. I've literally done this 2,000 times, not even uh, exaggerating that just because I have to do a bunch of shows and I have to kind of do the exercise to show people I'm credible. So don't compare yourself to me. I'm forced to practice even if I don't want to. Number two, <laughs> all I'm asking for is five minutes of your day. You wake up every morning, you pick five words, you know, tree, doorknob, all that stuff. One minute each, five minutes every day. You do that for a year, you'll have done it almost 2,000 times too. Number three, which is the most important thing, is why this exercise matters at the beginning of anyone's public speaking journey. It's more for mindset than anything else. Because most clients that I work with, when they start this exercise, they don't sound like this. They go, uh, well, I guess a banana is something I eat in the morning, I guess. So they start with just setting the context of what the object is. But over time, as they get better, what happens is then those individuals are able to present things they have no expertise in so that when they go back to the presentation they've spent months preparing, that presentation suddenly shifts from fear to being a joke. Yeah, I think for you know i've definitely found this you when you when you when you first get starting to present more frequently you, like you just described there you get to the point too quick like you know you like you just used the banana example there you kind of like straight into this is a banana but rather than building in the story up to the 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 object point um and that's that, that's i think that's the unless your attention is drawn to that I think it's something actually we quite a lot of us miss whilst watching great presentations. I think sometimes we kind of miss why it's a great presentation and, and obviously watching more presentations and, and really looking at why why they're good and trying to understand why they were engaging is probably good practice. Absolutely. And over time, you know, it doesn't take long for my clients to start speaking like me. It probably takes three weeks because they're in groups, right? So what they see all the other people present, they're like, oh, I want to take that idea. I want to learn from that. And that's the key. The still second part. <laughs> you still have, because I, I speak from experience, right? When I was uh, particularly, I, the thing that kind of, I wouldn't say massively overcame, but I, I ended up doing music um, and being in a band. And that kind of breaks down a lot of those barriers. So once you're, once you're playing, you, you need to have something that forces you out of that comfort zone. But sorry, carry on. No, you're, you're absolutely right, David. I completely agree. And then after what happens is I make them do the puzzle method. So for six weeks out of my entire program, what I, what, the only thing I do pretty much is I make them present each component of their presentation. So week two, 
is they do their introduction. And everyone could just copy this, by the way, just do this at home. Right? You do your introduction for 60 seconds, then everyone gives you feedback. Or if we don't have that much time, two or three people in the group give feedback. And then I do. And then they present the intro again. And I force everyone to present that same intro 20 times a week. So what happens is week three, because the no one's ever presented the same introduction 60 times or 50 times. They go from, yeah, so, you know, I'm an IT executive and I do this. And I go, do you know that technology is a passion? I think it is like, they just blow the roof or I guess the virtual roof in this case. <laughs> yeah. And then the next thing I do, because at this point it's over. Like they've already, like I'm, it's over. Like I won. Because at that point, which means they won, they, they, they just go, well, I, I can be an incredible speaker because everyone else in this group is telling me and I already mastered the introduction. The rest is easy and the rest becomes a breeze. So then after we do the conclusion for two weeks and then at that point they're speaking like uh, pros and then now that we got the edges right, then we tackle the middle. And then throughout, I play different games with my with my groups where I, I stress test them. So So one of those games is called PowerPoint Karaoke where I make slides and I don't show it to them and they just have to present it. So I do really like kinky stuff that I probably shouldn't talk about, really weird <laughs> stuff that gets people like really like, whoa, really scared. <laughs> so that's something you could do. Uh, I used to do that for fun in, in university. It was kind of bizarre. And another thing is what I call the question drill because a lot of people are scared when they get questions. Like, man, I wonder what David's going to ask me today. I'm really scared. I've been, I've been fearful about it for weeks. But the, the key is to always do the harder exercise. If you're scared of a meeting with your colleagues on Monday, get a bunch of people that are highly critical of you to, to drill you on hundreds of questions. So what I do with, with people is when they give a presentation, I drill them alone for 15 minutes. I go, go to slide three. What do you, why did you say that? Why does that matter? Go to slide seven, do this. this. And I just keep drilling on everything. They're just like, oh, geez, okay. But when they get to the actual presentation and like Lynette is sitting there, Lynette just goes, that was great. I have like two questions. And you're just, they're like, oh, okay. I guess this is too bad. I'm like, Brendan was much worse. That's the thing. You always want to do the harder exercise. So that's basically what happens. And then by week 12, they're all, uh, king presenters or queen presenters depending on who they are and what would you say are kind of some of the the the, the key points to a good presentation oh i, I always like that you always try and uh, figure out some rules which is fair as you're supposed to do this I'm a, as the podcast I'm, 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 I, I like following i like finding patterns in things and in particular i think it just becomes you know even if it's like a handful of takeaway type things that anybody listening now can think, well, okay, I don't know, pitch and tone or the intro, whatever it is, kind of in whatever, kind of five key points to a great presentation type thing. Right. And if I'm being honest, David, I'm not going to give all of that away. And the reason is because I don't want people to be overwhelmed, right? Because I hate it when speech coaches go, you need to focus on your body language. Then I was just like, no, you don't. Like you gotta do one presentation. You can focus on body language later, right? It's not, it's not important. But there are a couple of things we need to think about. The number one quality of any great presentation is achieving the outcome that you wanted to achieve. At the end of the day, if you're a terrible speaker, but you wanted to sell a million in product and you sold a million in two, it doesn't really matter. You got the outcome you wanted. If you're an influencer and you wanted to get you know, stand innovation and you did, you got the outcome that you wanted. So the key, and I always like to use Gary Vaynerchuk as an example here. A lot of people don't like Gary V. He's like this big, I know you, I know you know who he is, but for those who don't know. He actually works for his company. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, So the, the point is with Gary, some people really love him, including me and other people really don't like this guy is super aggressive. He's super loud. He's not that great of a speaker. What most people don't understand is he, out of everyone in the entire industry, he's gotten the most people to actually take action on something, which means he's getting the outcome that he wants. So for me, it doesn't matter if you're talking about sad topics, really cool topics, business topics, it doesn't really matter. What matters are, are you hitting the outcomes that you want to hit? So for me, I'll use myself as a personal example. My outcome is always simple in any presentation I give, whether it's to 10-year-old girls all the way up to senior level executives. And that outcome 
is I need to convince everyone that they can all master public speaking too. And if I could do that, like in this podcast, hopefully anyways, then you'll do everything. You'll follow up with me. You'll watch all my videos. You'll, you know, binge courses. You'll go to Toastmasters. You'll do something. So as long as I get that outcome, I, I win. I consider it myself as a victory. So my advice for people is you really want to outline what are your key outcomes. And if I was you, I would only focus on one. What is the number one outcome? And if you knock it out, the rest doesn't really matter. And like, obviously there's other things we can talk about, like storytelling and all that stuff, which I don't recommend for beginners, by the way. If you have really bad speaking ability and you go, uh, blah, the last thing you want to do is tell a story. Like, so I remember the bloody story. Yeah. Right. You're just going to say, well, yeah, three years ago. Uh, yeah. And this happened. It's just not, doesn't work. Right. So my advice, do one presentation a hundred times, do the random word exercise every day. And then as your confidence increases over time, then you could start asking the granular questions, which is all free on, on, on my YouTube channel. You can figure out how to make this presentation go from an eight to an 11. Perfect. Well, before we uh, come on to where people can find out more, are there any, uh, and I've got some few more standard questions I'm going to run through with you. Any, any points to summarize um, uh, for anyone listening in now and thinking, yeah, I'm going to, I need, I've definitely got to do this. Any, any, any last points you'd like to add or, or give encouragement? Yeah, for sure. I would say in the context of public speaking, the reason why I started Master Talk was because I believe that every human being on earth has an idea worth sharing. Does it matter if it's a YouTube channel on public speaking, right? A, a podcast it could be a recipe that you have at home that your grandmother gave you that you're scared is going to die with you. It could be a gardening tip that you have that nobody else uses in their gardens. Like it really helped them out. It doesn't really matter what the thing is or how big or small it is. As long as it's helping other people, just one person is all you need, then it's an idea worth sharing. And if you're clear on what that idea is, Learn public speaking because that is the difference between sharing that idea with 10 people versus 10 million people. Great. What a great way to end. I think I love that. Um, before we come on to where people can find you, um, I've got a few questions. So the first one I ask everybody these questions is, uh, do you have a morning routine of any sort? And if you do, what does it look like? And uh, kind of what benefits have you gained from it? I love it. The morning routine question. Here we go. I start my day off at 5 a.m. with 50,000 push-ups. You start fairly early. <laughs> uh, what time is it there now? It's, it's 8.40 8 a.m. It's not that bad. All right. This is what I say when I always get the morning routine question. One, my routine shouldn't matter to you. I literally woke up 15 minutes before I even started on the show. Like That's literally, I just woke up put water i'd even wash my face and i just get a got on my mattress and started speaking it's all good but the one habit i do recommend that nobody else does and nobody else talks about which shocks me is not the yoga it's not the exercise it's not eating the right things all these things are great let's put that on the side for two seconds one habit that you need to do ask yourself one hard question about life every single day for 30 days and I can guarantee that in 30 days, your life will be different. I don't know in what way or how it'll just be different. I'll let me get you started. What kind of question? Yeah, of course. Question one, what are you pretending not to know? Two, if you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? Three, if you die, you tomorrow, die tomorrow, what would what your would... funeral speech say about you? What would you want it to say? The issue with most people is most people don't question life enough. Why are we saving up for retirement if Kobe Bryant died at 41 and the guy who played Black Panther died at 43? When we start to ask these questions, we start to make very different decisions. So if you think about me, I started a YouTube channel, not on pranking, not on vlogs, but on public speaking communication tips. They start coaching executives at 23. But I also live in my mother's basement. I'm talking to you on a mattress. I don't own a car. And I don't plan on moving out of my mother's basement until I'm 30. <laughs> Why is that? Because I implemented the one habit that nobody else is, which is asking myself a deep philosophical question about life every day so I can get really clear on what I want relative to what everyone else expects me to want. I like that. Yeah, I, 
I think you're right. We kind of um, we don't tend to ask ourselves questions. We tend to uh, daydream our way through most of our lives, following the the pattern we were told to follow. Right, you go to work, eventually you get to retire, and then you can live on no money that you haven't saved because along your journey, everyone convinced you to spend it all on all, on crap you didn't need. Absolutely. Interesting. Uh, three books that you'd recommend and why? I'll recommend one because people don't usually don't uh, <laughs> go and buy three <laughs> books for each episode. There's one book that you need to be reading. It's Thirst by Scott Harrison. It changed my life. And the reason is just because it's a tale of optimism. Scott Harrison used to be a nightclub promoter in New York City. And, you know, he's selling a, he had everything. You know, he sold bottles that he bought for 50 bucks for 500 He was the guy behind the velvet rope. His girlfriend was on Vogue. He had a Rolex wash. Everything was great. And he hated his life. And then after, he used all of the marketing savviness, all of the skills to start a nonprofit called Charity Water. Charity Water ended up being a juggernaut. He raised $360 million to get people access to clean drinking water. He's also a personal hero of mine. So if there's any book that you want to read, it's that one because I hate it. The thing I hate the most is this idea of lack of human potential. We're not optimizing it enough because mm-hmm. well, there's so many problems out there that it cripples us. Whereas this dude is actually solving something. He's doing a very good job at it. So I, I think it's just a great book, not just for marketing, storytelling, and branding, but just how he thinks and how to bring hope to the world. I'll check it out. Um, three, I'm gonna, you're going to get three on this one. Three people uh, that you recommend following or listening to. They've got a great message. Definitely Scott Harrison. Second one, I would say Seth Godin. And mm. more specifically in Seth's case, because I know a lot of people know Seth's work, his podcast, Akimbo, is the, the the hidden gem of the internet. I have listened to every episode. It is a is a religious practice. I'm not religious, but this is a religious <laughs> practice. Every Wednesday morning, when I do my other routines that we shouldn't care about, I I listen to the episode. It's like 20 minutes every week. Watch it. It's amazing. Akimbo. So besides Scott and Seth Godin, I would say the third person. Oh, it's so hard to, to leave it to three, but... Mm, I would say the third person that not many people talk about is Vinod Kosla. So Vinod is the, he's the founder of Sun Microsystems, really successful guy. I'm not really telling you to follow him, but he has a Stanford talk on YouTube. So all you need to type is Vinod Kosla, why success matters. It is mind blowing what, what he's done with his life. He's crazy. He's just absolutely insane. And the takeaway from that talk is that most people don't even have, don't have a belief system. They don't believe in anything. So I highly recommend you guys check that out. I definitely will. Uh, three, you've talked about one, one of these habits, but uh, three good habits that you have adopted that you feel have made a big difference to your life. So you can, if you want to, you can count the one you've already mentioned and you could had add another two or you can go for three new ones. Right. Once again, you shouldn't care about the other two habits. The one habit I want people to implement absolutely at the end of this call is ask yourself a hard question every day. That will get you everything you want. The yoga, the exercise, the working out, that's the number one thing. That will get you but doing the yoga. I don't do the yoga, actually. <laughs> <I> do <laughs> really don't do the yoga, though I do recommend a lot of my friends do. So the other two habits I will name just because you're asking me to, but the, the number one thing is really ask yourself a hard question about life. Second thing that I would recommend is what I call the perfect day exercise that I got from a guy named Lewis Howes. So basically what the perfect day exercise is, is you write out your perfect day in excruciating detail. What time are you waking up? Are you waking up next to anybody? Is there anybody in the house besides you? Is there dogs in the house? What are you having for breakfast? Are you even in a house? All of that stuff. Get it in detail and you'll get very clear on the day you're trying to optimize for in the first place. And the hint to me, the teasers, I realized when I was doing the exercise that I was working all day because I just love it so much. So it gave me a lot more clarity over what I wanted and what I wanted to achieve. Number three, honestly, you know, I could say exercise and all that stuff. Let's forget about that because I want to be different here. Write your own funeral speech. Okay, most people don't do that. What did you actually stand for in your life? What did you do? What do you want your sister or your brother, your family, your, your wife or husband or whatever it is to say about you when you're in a casket? Like, what does it say in the letter? The faster you write that speech, the easier life becomes. I like that. That's, um, I took that from uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, if you've ever read that book. That kind of gets you thinking. Uh, th- 
this is there's a theme here in threes this is the last one of threes three tools systems apps softwares whatever it is uh that you really like you use uh and couldn't live without that's cool uh i would say the first was definitely my notes taking app this could be anything that works for you i have an android phone so i use google keep let me explain why the note taking is important most people listen to information right like we're doing right now they don't actually reflect on it so they're listening to david and brenda have a conversation to go wow brenda's such a great speaker this is great okay bye and then they don't do anything mm-hmm. whereas what the smart people do is that they're taking notes of all of the things that they liked and also didn't like, which is more important. What did Brendan say that I don't agree with? What does it make sense to me and why? This idea of critical thought. So what you want to do with the Google Keep or the iNotes, whatever you're using, is you always want to have one pad with all of the knowledge that you still don't know yet, that you have that you just learned recently. What happens is it creates accumulation of all of the little nuggets that you're getting from all of your favorite shows, and that is your reference point every time you forget something. And it's also a great po- a place to put all of your controversial thoughts, all of the things that you believe to be true that most people th- would disagree with you on. I got that from Peter Thiel. But the point is, if you add a lot of these controversial thoughts, you can start to develop unique insights. That's why I'm living a particular unique vision for my life at a young age, right? I mean, I'm doing a public speaking YouTube channel. Is that bizarre? Or it's very unique to me. So for you, that might be, I don't know, something else. So I would do that. So that's the first system is a note-taking thing. Use it more frequently, especially on podcasts like this. Number two, man, you're really getting me to work today. Uh, what's the other thing I would say? Uh, app or system? I, w- I would say the, the second thing. It's more of an object. I'm a big fan of Bose headsets, the noise noise canceling headsets, and the reason is because it kills distraction. You know, you, there's no noise around you. You're really focused on what you're doing. It seems expensive. It's honestly the best investment I've ever made. You know, the whole Tim Ferriss question was the best investment you ever made under a certain amount of money. It, it's definitely Bose headsets or you know Sony headset doesn't really matter. Uh, get something noise canceling so you can minimize the distractions around you. Third thing that I do, uh, once again, I guess I don't use much technology, but I guess the the third system that I implement is I optimize all 168. So I call this I call this exercise 168. So basically, what it is is you take all the 168 hours you have in a week, 24 times seven, and then you kind of just see how you're spending all of the that time. So when I looked at it the first time, I kind of just said, wow, I'm spending way too much time on social media. I should be writing more scripts. So what I do is I create a quick win every day. So for me, the quick win is I need to write a YouTube script every day so that I'm years ahead of in content. So as long as I get that co- that piece written, I'll be successful. And if I don't do it, like if I do 10 hours of interviews and I don't write a script, I lose the day. So for you, always ask yourself what your quick win is, and you'll be able to move a lot faster towards your goals. I really like that. That's that, yeah. I would. I think it's a great, great practice to do because try and get that one thing every day. But also that that reviewing by the hour. I think you suddenly become surprised at how much time you're not using effectively, and and that goes for everybody. No matter how busy generally you think you are, you when you really analyze it, you're not as busy as you think. I've been down that road. Hundred percent. Uh, the last question. Um, and this is always a challenging one. If you could spend an hour with one person, whether they be dead or alive, who would that one person be? Definitely Scott Harrison. I, I think the, this I, my the spin of this. Forever. <laughs> yeah, no. And the reason is because, and this, once again, this is what people don't do, is they don't prepare questions in advance for the mentors that they know they're going to speak to in their lifetime. So, for example, Gary V, I'll say this publicly. There's a question I have for him that no one else has ever asked. And the question is, if anyone else meets him, is what advice do you have for sustaining a great marriage? How do you get quick wins with your wife? You never talk about her. How, how are you still happily married? You're, you're insane. Like, you're actually insane. Like, you're, you're working, like, 17 hours. How, how are you still in a marriage? Like, how is this possible? Because if I get those secrets... That's it. My life is king. Like when I get married in 10, 15 years, we're going to push that off for a long time. But when that happens, right, <laughs> at least I'll know what to do because I'm, yeah. I'm not going to be as intense as him for sure. So I'm sure I, if he can figure it out, I can too. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, that is a great question. So the question. key 
is whenever you meet a mentor, if you have a list of heroes, and I highly recommend making one, and I actually rank them for me personally, is from that system, you say, what are the questions that you need to ask that person that has never been asked of them or answered before, or rather, which is more likely, they don't want to answer publicly, so you, you need to be in their circles to ask them the question. So for me, Scott, there's so many questions I have for him. Like one is uh, his relationship with his wife. A lot of my questions tailor around that because the thing I don't know the most about since I've never been divorced or anything. <laughs> so I mean, I'm fairly young. I'm 24. So it's, I'm just preparing for that stuff. But just things like uh, the, the way how, how obsessive he was about building his nonprofit. What, how did he, you know, optimize his cash flow when he had no money? <laughs> like how did he do all that stuff? So I would just grill him for an hour. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. Nice. I think it's good. That's a very good point. I think most of us have no idea you then you do come face to face with somebody you wanted to speak to and you you just feel stupid because there's you, there's nothing that you thought of saying that makes any sense or sounds remotely intelligent absolutely um so before we wrap up where can people track you down brennan Absolutely. So for those who want to check out the YouTube channel and learn uh, everything, all the secrets of public speaking, you can check out Master Talk in one word. And if you want to send me a message directly, the best place to do that is probably Instagram. I'm at Master Your Talk. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for giving up time. And, and I think really helpful, like I said at the beginning of this, a hot topic for a lot of people. Lots of people either want to get better or need to get better for whatever reason and, and and it seems to be the number one shared fear from just about anybody so thank you for sharing your insight on that of course it's my pleasure Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to hear more similar episodes, head over to pocketmastermind.com where you'll also find the links mentioned in this conversation. And if you haven't done so already, please leave us a review. It will really help us to get our message out and let more people know about these episodes. So leave us a review, leave us a rating, hit the subscribe button and please share with your friends. Until next time, thank you again for listening.